Good morning. I know Abby in the announcements. Uh, thank the people who helped with VBS, but I just wanted to once again thank everybody who uh, helped with VBS. Amy, who sort of spearheaded the, the planning of it, trying to put something together online so we could do this year. Uh, I'd like to thank Mark Kugler for his great lessons. Uh, I recorded those. He did every single lesson in just one, one take. Uh, I'd like to thank the Hall family for the music that you guys did. Uh, would like to thank uh, Pam for helping out with some of the lessons and definitely really enjoyed those. Uh, Ellie and Anne, some of the crafts, um, they're pretty amazing. I'm not a crafty person. Um, the, the stuff that Ellie came up with, really, again, in like a couple weeks, that's truly a gift. Um, I'd like to thank Lori, Sharon, Marsha, and Joy for baking the cookies. Probably too many cookies, actually. Some of those kids, if um, any of you don't like cookies, I can, I can take care of those. Um, Sharon and, and Larry for, for making pasta for some of the families in Rankin. Uh, Ashley for helping out with some of the stuff this morning, the water balloons and putting stuff together. And certainly like to thank Carrie for putting the videos together. Uh, she spent a few hours every night this week uh, editing those videos and putting them together. And, and I think they look really good and excited. Uh, you know, one of the cool things about this is it something that kids or their families can rewatch? Um, I don't necessarily have any illusion that kids are just gonna, you know, every day for the next year, just like how they do with some of their favorite movies, but it's something that will always be available. And, um, you know, parents or grandparents or babysitters might be in the room when the video is playing and, and hear something that's preaching the gospel. And so I'm excited about that. So definitely uh, thankful for everybody who, who helped out with that. Um, passage this morning is from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. And we're doing verses 25 to 27, although I'm actually going to read uh, beginning in verse 22. Uh, give a little bit more picture of what's going on in the passage. Therefore... Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." Pray with me. Almighty and eternal God, you are the beginning and the end. You take our sins away as far as the east is from the west. For you, a thousand years is like a day. We once again come to you in a time of worship 
And may we rejoice in the freedom that we have to praise you and to celebrate the good news of the gospel, that though we are dead in sin, you show your love and the gift of everlasting life through your Son, who has taken the penalty of our sins. Lord, it is grieving this week to learn of the suffering and persecution which people are facing in other parts of the world, Christians suffering in Nigeria, churches being cracked down on in China. Lord, may we remember those people in our prayers. May they be light in spite of the terrible darkness which surrounds them. May your gospel go forward and overcome the best efforts of men to call your truth. Lord, we pray for our community and nation as well. There is one hope, and that is the gospel. It's not economics or politics or laws or courts. Where our ultimate hope lies is in Christ crucified, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, the firstborn of all creation who came into our world. And Lord, we do pray for our virtual vacation Bible school this week. We pray both for kids who will do the activities and watch the videos, but we do pray for parents and babysitters and grandparents who might also watch along. And we pray that the gospel and biblical truths can impact them as well. Lord, we pray that you would use this. We continue to pray for this church. We thank you for the people that we have. We thank you that in spite of this virus, you have preserved us. And we continue to pray for your protection. And we also pray for your wisdom and guidance, not just with this situation, but with everything that we do as a church, O oh Lord. We pray for our time in your word. May we be enlightened, encouraged, and edified to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing this morning our, our summer series, The Forensics of Faith. Last week, we talked about justification. And just as a reminder... Justification is right legal standing before God. Today we talk about the doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration refers to a new spiritual life which God gives a person. The new regenerative life is what brings a person from spiritual death to spiritual life. While justification is a matter of faith in what Christ has done, regeneration is a work of the Spirit. And if you recall from earlier in John's Gospel, when we were there last fall, another term for regeneration that's found in John chapter 3 is born again. And much of Christendom, it's easy to overlook the work of the Holy Spirit. J.I. Packer, who was one of the great theologians of the last half century, passed away last week at the age of 93. I've been rereading his book, Knowing God, one of the classics of 20th century Christian literature. And one of the things that he says in the book Knowing God is that in modern Christianity, we too often overlook the work of the Holy Spirit. We consider God and we focus on a relationship with Jesus. But as Packer says, the Holy Spirit is the Cinderella of Christian doctrines. Just kind of off to the corner, forgotten about, neglected. But again, the Holy Spirit is immensely important in the work of the salvation of our souls and in the work of the church. And in Ezekiel 36, the prophet points to a future time of washing and renewal. And so in our passage this morning from Ezekiel, we're going to look at three stages of spiritual regeneration that the Spirit brings. First stage is that the Spirit brings renewal. Ezekiel 36, verse 25, says, 
I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Ezekiel is writing in the Old Testament, and he's looking forward to a future time of cleansing that God would bring by means of the Holy Spirit. And we live in that time now. When we are regenerated, it is a spiritual cleansing which the Lord brings. With the mention of water, it's easy to draw parallels to baptism. And in fact, the filling of the Holy Spirit is referred to as a baptism. In John 1.33, John the Baptist is speaking about Jesus and says, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And it is a privilege which all Christians share, as we will see in 1 Corinthians 12.13. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. All believers in the gospel are filled with the Holy Spirit. There is no such thing as a Christian who does not have the the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10 communicates this idea. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you... Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So we are baptized into the Holy Spirit. Water baptism is a symbol of the regeneration and cleansing which comes through the Holy Spirit. Baptism does not bring regeneration. Water baptism does not bring regeneration in and of itself. But it is an important and powerful outward symbol of an inward work which the Lord has done. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. What a, what a powerful picture that is of God's grace and renewal. In Shakespeare's great play Macbeth, there's a scene where Lady Macbeth is overcome with grief and guilt for her murderous greed and ambition. And she desperately tries to wash this blood stain off of her hands. But there's no actual stain there. It's in her mind. But really, that's the brilliance of the scene. Because we all have this stain of sin upon our hearts and lives that we cannot wash away on our own. It is God who brings cleansing and renewal. In Psalm 51, David, too, is ravaged by guilt and grief over a terrible sin that he's committed. He's had this affair with Bathsheba. And then he sent her husband Uriah to the front lines in battle where he lost his life. A terrible thing. David pleads with God, Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2. He says, have mercy on me. O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Washing and cleansing. And I return to John chapter 3. Again, a passage where we looked last fall. After Jesus has said in John 3, 3, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus will then go on to talk about the spiritual cleansing which accompanies regeneration. John 3, verses 5 and 6. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Water and spirit in John 3 is alluding back to Ezekiel 36. The cleansing which God brings through his spirit. To have faith is to have the spirit. And to have the spirit is to be cleansed. You have all sorts of cleansing rituals in the Old Testament. Really washing is a powerful symbol of moral purity throughout various religions and cultures. But the washing that God gives is through the Spirit, and it is a cleansing of the human soul. We see this same language of renewal in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It is because of the mercy of God that we are made morally clean through the work of the Holy Spirit. So through regeneration, God cleanses us. Through being born again, God cleanses us. When Jesus says, you must be born again, that's another fantastic metaphor for regeneration. Because it is a new birth. You are a new person in Christ. Another reason why the metaphor of new birth is important is because we are regenerated as a one-time event. Jesus said we had to be born again. He did not say that we must be born again and again and again. We are born again once. It's not that we are saved today and then tomorrow we mess up and then we lose that and then we get it better Figure it out a couple days later and then we're good. And then a week after that we mess up again and lose it. Many Christians believe that and think that and talk like that. It's not a biblical idea though. And that's part of the reason why systematic theology is important. And considering the connection between various biblical teachings and how they work together. Again to remind us of justification which we talked about last week. Justification, right legal standing with God. You cannot be justified without being regenerated. And to be regenerated is to be justified. So when we're regenerated and given the Holy Spirit, we're justified in Christ and forgiven our sins. It's something that only needs to happen once. You can only be born again once. And the good news is that true Saving faith in the gospel cannot be lost. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit as the guarantor of our salvation. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So that's our first point. Second point, the Spirit gives us a new heart back in Ezekiel 36.26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Once again, an incredible metaphor that the Bible uses. I assume it's because of the Bible that the heart has become such a powerful symbol in our culture. Think about it for just a moment. Someone who's very kind is referred to as being tender-hearted. Someone who's very unkind or unfeeling is called cold-hearted or black-hearted. When we're really sincere, we say something from the bottom of our heart. When we've seen an impressive athletic display, we say he played his heart out. Really difficult situations are heartbreaking. And lots and lots of other little phrases like that. It's a powerful symbol in our culture. We view the heart as being the, the seat of our emotions. Because of regeneration, God gives us a new heart. Thousands of Americans are on donor lists for heart transplants. Heart disease is annually the leading cause of death in America, with over 20% of the deaths in America being from heart disease. Our hearts don't last forever. And certainly the heart is important in the Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, first thing. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Quoting again from David in Psalm 51, later on in that psalm in verse 10, he asks God, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 10, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. We cannot make our hearts pure. But the good news is that through regeneration, God does a heart transplant in us. He gives us a new heart and a new spirit. So the spirit brings renewal through cleansing. And it is through the spirit that we are given a new heart. Third point. The spirit enables us to follow God's law. The gospel changes lives. When we're born again... That does not mean that we never struggle or never sin again. But we are forgiven. We aren't perfect, but we are declared righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. But true recognition of sin, true faith in the gospel, that changes a person. You can never be the same when you have truly understood the gospel of grace. And I think it's especially noticeable when an adult comes to faith. If you were a child who grew up in the church, if you have children who grew up in the church, that's a a wonderful blessing to have that just be part of your life and not remember a time when that wasn't something that your family valued. Again, praise the Lord for that. And certainly for somebody who grows up in that environment, there's still a time where you do come to faith, where you are justified by faith, where faith really becomes real to you. But because of upbringing, it's not necessarily always quite as noticeable a shift as when you have an adult who's been going through life and 
not living for Christ and doing their own things and following their own pursuits. And it can really be a, a striking change in a person and their behavior and their demeanor and their countenance and their joy. It's a beautiful thing. Again, it doesn't happen all at once. It's not saying that a person comes to faith and they never struggle again. It is a process. We'll actually talk about that, Lord willing, next week when we talk about sanctification, which is the process of being made holy. But when the light of the gospel truly takes root in a person's heart, it results in a life that is changed. It's like suddenly you see the world through a different set of eyes. It's like in The Wizard of Oz, when the opening scenes are in sepia, but then she enters Oz, and it's this land of vibrant color. The Spirit enables us to follow God. We certainly see that idea in our passage in Ezekiel 36, 27, where it says, And I will put my Spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. It is the Spirit of God working in us, which enables us to follow the will of God. When God works in a person's life and transforms a person to love him, that enables a person to follow his commands. And that's miraculous. The Bible begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The same Spirit who was in the beginning. The same Spirit who was part of creation. The same Spirit who hovered over the waters dwells in every single person who is a Christian and who believes in the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's not because of us. It's because of our good God. Ezekiel 36, 22, earlier in the passage says, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. God's works of grace are not because we are deserving. God ultimately makes grace available because of his character, because of his goodness, because of his faithfulness to the promises that he has made. And for the sake of displaying his glory and greatness. Yes, God loves us. But that's not because we're lovable. It's because God is loving. And so through the gospel, through the work of Christ on the cross, cross, we are forgiven. We are justified. But what separates real faith, what separates the true believers from the pretenders is regeneration. Because anybody can pray a prayer, anybody can say they believe, but true belief is a person who has God's spirit. In his systematic theology, Louis Burkhoff says, regeneration consists in the implanting of the principle of the new spiritual life in man and a radical change of the governing disposition of the soul, which under the influence of the Holy Spirit gives birth to a life that moves in a Godward direction. Numerous passages in the New Testament talk about the work that God does in the life of a believer. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 14 to 16. 
The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And consider Ezekiel again. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God works in us and through us. We don't regenerate ourselves. We don't cause our own spiritual growth. But we participate in the work which God is doing in us. I hope that makes sense. That is somewhat of a theologically complicated idea. Think of the metaphor of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. I know some of us are farmers. Some of us garden. You're working to help provide the conditions for the, the, the fruit or the vegetable or the crop. You're, you're working to help provide the condition for it to grow through fertilizing the ground, getting the ground ready, watering it, everything else that goes into the process. You have a role in that. But you're not actually causing the growth itself. Like you can't make a plant grow. You can't will it to happen. You can't yell at it. You can't physically make it happen. You just provide the circumstances where it can grow. I think that's a good metaphor for our walk with God because we certainly are actively participating in growing with God through being in his church, studying his word, praying to him, serving him, serving his people. But we are not the cause of our own spiritual growth. It is the Holy Spirit working in us which does that. It is God who produces the fruit through the mediation of the Holy Spirit. Again, we don't make ourselves grow spiritually. We can't make ourselves joyful. God does that through the Spirit. If you're not a joyful person, you can't say, okay, I'm not joyful. I'm going to decide right now to be joyful. You can't. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Peace is another fruit of the Spirit. If you don't have peace in your life, you're not a peaceful person, you can't say, well, I'm just going to be peaceful now. It's something that God produces in you. The Spirit transforms. The Spirit causes spiritual growth. And because of that, true faith results in a life that is changed by the gospel. As Paul says in Philippians 2.13, It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God works in us. New birth, being born again, changes a person. While it is through Christ that we are forgiven, justified, and given eternal life, we see that the Spirit is involved in bringing new life, specifically through cleansing us, through indwelling us, through causing a change of heart, and by enabling us to live for God. And we have a good God who has made a way for sinful people to be forgiven. And that is that we must believe in his Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior. It is through that that we are justified. We are justified. We are born again. We are given God's Spirit. We live as God's people. To the glory of God. Would you pray with me?
Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have made a way for sinful people to be forgiven and that when we are forgiven, the work is not yet done, that you love us so much that you continue to work in us and transform us throughout life. May we be your people and be your church to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.